Welcome to episode 197 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. You know, if you like the podcast, I hope that you'll leave a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcast. Because your ratings and comments do help new people find this show. Or you know what? Even better, if you know somebody that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Because some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because somebody I knew told me about them. So... If you do tell somebody about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is Dylan Trowbridge. Dylan is an actor, director, and playwright, and is the director of Every Brilliant Thing, which is on now at the Festival Players of Prince Edward County until August 17th in Wellington, Ontario. You know, I started our conversation by telling him that he directed two of my favorite Eldritch Theatre shows, The Harrowing of Brimstone McCready and Space Opera Zero. Such a combination of, of really fun collaboration and a lot of heart and uh, and depth to the plays. So yeah, well, it's interesting because genre is something that is not attempted in the theater very often. Mm-hmm. And so to do horror and to do science fiction requires a certain amount of creativity and an understanding of how to get around the limitations of, of theaters. Yeah, I thought those were. <clears throat> The, the solutions in both of those pieces were were really were really clever and, 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 and great. Yeah, well, something something Eric Wolf understands and something he and I have really connected on is that we have an obligation to entertain people, mm-hmm. and it, it almost for a while it seemed like that was like a bad a bad word or a bad concept. But it's so important that whatever you're trying to do in the theater, that there is an element of actually entertaining people and yeah. making people have a fun or moving or thrilling night out. I do think that sometimes in the past we've lost, we've, we have lost sight of that. Yeah. I know I worked with a, a company called Keystone Theatre for several years. We did plays in the style of silent film, which were very entertaining. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have a lot of, I think in some eyes, they didn't have enough depth yeah. to be considered theatre. Yeah, yeah. Just entertaining. Right. There's something about... We should entertain first. Yeah, and it's it's really possible to it is really possible to do both, and yeah. that should be the challenge when we're making plays, especially when we're making them from scratch, that we have an eye on both delivering a, a something that is entertaining and some and work that has something to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget about the entertaining. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really too bad. Well, yeah. let's let's talk about about this show. Okay, this show is, uh, is every. Every little thing. Every brilliant every thing. Brilliant yeah, thing. that's right. Yeah, every, yeah. Every brilliant thing. Yeah. So tell me about tell me about, about every brilliant thing. Oh, well, I'll tell you how I came to it first. I saw I saw a magnificent production of a play called Lungs here at the Tarragon, uh, maybe four or five years ago, mm-hmm. and it got me curious about this playwright Duncan McMillan, mm-hmm. and so I started because I, my work with Theaterfront, uh, with whom I'm an associate. 
I, I read a lot of plays, and so I, wa- I went down a bit of a Duncan McMillan rabbit hole uh, a few, couple of years ago, and I found this play, um, and was was excited because it was a play that was inherently going to be different every night, mm-hmm. a play in which the audience was uh, forced to be active, mm. and a play that I felt had a lot to say and was very funny. Um, and was very producible, which is great for theater front because it was just one one performer. <clears throat> and so, um, I, around that same time, I had begun working with Graham Abbey in Prince Edward County, and and I contacted him uh, to tell him that I thought it could be a good fit for our audience there. Mm-hmm. And, and he obviously agreed. Yeah, he did. He did. It took. A, I mean, programming programming a season of theater in Prince Edward County is difficult because mm-hmm. it's a, an evolving audience. There are there are local people who have lived there for decades. There are rural people. There are urban tourists mm. passing through. There's the Drake Devonshire crowd. Mm. And so we, we need to find work that can appeal to uh, a wide spectrum of people. And so our first play, Outside Mullinger, was a very rural play, very funny, beautiful John Patrick Shanley play. And this is, this is something that's a little more mm. um, experimental in form, but equally uh, crowd-pleasing, potentially, I think. It seems to me like... like with that mixed audience, it must programming the season must be particularly challenging. It took a long time, and it took a lot of reading and a lot of trial and error, and like putting together a menu of things, and then and then switching something because something just didn't feel right. Mm. Uh, we landed on this season at the eleventh hour, the night before our big board meeting, in which we had to present <laughs> the season, and uh, and everything just fell into place. And and we um, we also brought in uh, Barry Sneakers to do a two night run of their scriptees project. With uh, uh, I don't know if you know what that is, but mm. that's so they they commission a playwright to write the first two pages of a play, mm. and then the rest is is improvised a full length play okay. that's improvised. So Cat Sanders mm. writing the first two pages of a play for us, and Raymond Stories doing the other night. Nice, yeah, nice. yeah. Um, what kind of what kind of uh, uh, like what are the sensibilities that you're trying to balance? What are the what are the things that you look for in a play when you're trying to put together a season? Like the, so the first thing, the first thing is what we were talking about earlier. We mm. these people, many of them are are on vacation. They're at the beach. They're at a winery. So it's something that is going to entertain them. Mm. Uh, but then it's the the challenge. The the thing that makes it uh, take a really long time is that it also has to have something to say. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that's um, going to engage creative people in a way that that it excites them mm-hmm. so it, it uh it has to it has to be the right amount of challenging the right amount of of depth and heart but but ultimately entertaining mm-hmm. sandy becker is here with me too Hi. she's she's the stage manager <laughs> and she's the stage she was the stage manager for those the two plays you referenced earlier the harrowing of brimstone mccready and space Opera zero we, we spoke about uh, the harrowing of brimstone oh yeah Sandy is. I'm gonna hope probably. Hopefully, I will embarrass her. But Sandy is. Mm. Sandy is a brilliant stage manager, but also a very important uh, collaborator mm. for me and someone who makes who makes every play better. Um, That's what, not embarrassing at all. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, in terms of that, when when in, in the room, sometimes people are like, you know, the director is is 
the, the lone voice and everybody else is subservient to that. How do you see the stage manager as the as a collaborator in the room? It, it evolves from project to project, but with Sandy's really smart and has really good ideas and has a brain that is very different from mine. Mm -hmm. And my, I think my job as a director is never to uh, to come up with all the ideas, it's to identify all the ideas. To And so having an, op an open dialogue and I think having the the confidence to to allow other ideas in the room, ideas that may be better than the ideas I brought in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what excites me. I like, I, I'm an actor by, by trade. I like, that's why I came up as an actor. But what excites me about this new venture into directing that I've been taking on for the last few years is that I get, I get to connect with other people and mm -hmm. get excited about their ideas. Mm -hmm. um, collaborating and bouncing ideas is, is extremely satisfying for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think there's, I mean, there, I, I do think there's like two, two different types of, of directors, those who just like take their idea and people who are more collaborative. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> both, and both can work. I've been in mm -hmm. rooms, I've been in rooms where it was very clear who was in charge mm -hmm. and that other ideas weren't uh, encouraged. And I've been, some of the best shows I've done have been in those rooms, and but also some of the most horrific yeah. traumatic unpleasant experiences I've had in the theater have generally been in that kind of room so yeah I've had similar similar uh, experiences but my favorites are the ones where when there's a question the director sometimes says like you know what I don't know we yeah. should what do you guys think I had I had a big day yesterday where I was I was wrong repeatedly yesterday <laughs> about things and I was very proud of myself for for her identifying quite quickly that I was wrong about something I had suggested and and backing off of it mm. but that it was just a day where that kind of just kept happening so and that's okay too i mean i guess there's a certain how you deal with being wrong yeah says a lot about you as a director yeah like, you could double down and assume that the actor is wrong yeah yeah or you could just acknowledge that no i was wrong that's the thing you can't you can't tell until you see it in the room right mm -hmm. and so i i i'm a big believer in impulse and if i have an impulse in a moment mm -hmm. I, I need to see it, and then I and then I'll know, and I can let it go forever. And and uh, and I appreciate actors who are the same. I like being contradicted. Uh, I like being challenged um, because I think I actually think through arguing, or creatively arguing, we get to the most exciting choices or or responses. Do you find that that that, that kind of conversation in a rehearsal hall is rare? Uh, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I have. Like, historically, I have found that to be rare. But I'm finding more and more that there is a, 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 that people are encouraging an open dialogue that that um, in a controlled environment, people contributing ideas where maybe they wouldn't have many years ago. I'm finding more and more of that. Partly because I'm 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 directing more than I'm acting mm -hmm. in stage right now. Like, I most of my acting is. Uh, television film now where that's right. a completely different situation yeah. altogether but but the rooms I'm in have been fairly collaborative for the most part over the last say five yeah. years that's good I, I asked because I, I noticed you know there's a lot been a lot of conversation in the last little while about how how we are teaching acting yeah. to people who right. are coming up and yeah. I know when I was in theater school the idea of of arguing with a director would have been we were so afraid of rocking the boat and yeah. just like do what they say, shut up. Yeah, yeah. I think that one of the greatest things 
an act your job as a director is to is to find a way to, for the actor to do things with conviction mm-hmm. and they will be able to do their ideas with conviction because it is authentically coming from them mm-hmm. so if your if your idea really contradicts theirs you need to you need to take them to the place where they can do it with conviction mm-hmm. and if they can't you need to you need to find a different route mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um I want you to, to, to go with me and sort of think back here because one of the things I always like to know is like, where did this theater thing start for you? When did yeah. you decide, or what was your first exposure? Or when did it become a thing that you were going to do? Uh, so, um, I, uh, I, I, cause I was pretty, like, I think a lot of actors and directors say this, but I was a pretty, I was a fairly quiet, shy kid and I didn't have a thing. I didn't have a thing that I felt good at. Uh, I was sort of average at sports and I wasn't amazing at school and 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 then I when I went to high school I I did drama and and acted at a play and I was I felt I felt kind of good at it I kind of got it and 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 then I think I think I did a play in front of uh, an audience for the first time as opposed to just in the classroom and I came off and my heart was racing and the adrenaline was pumping and I felt very positive <laughs> and that became an addiction in a positive mm. way that that feeling that rush became something that I pursued and wanted to do and and it just carried through into I started working professionally when I was 18 mm. and and just sort of kept going from there do you know how old you were around that first time the first time I would have been maybe 14, 14? 15 mm. 15 maybe mm. something like that had you seen theater before that? not really like- no like we there my high school did plays and I think I maybe some maybe a little bit but mm. but not not really no I hadn't been exposed I grew up in Vancouver I, I didn't go see plays at the arts club or things like that when mm. I was a teenager uh, it just sort of I did it for fun and and then it sort of hooked me and became an addiction <laughs> when do you know when you figured out there was a, it was a thing that you could like make your vocation uh i went to queen's university to study politics and by the end of that first week i had switched my major to theater and the people i was there with people like um i don't know if you'll know these people but really great um directors and actors daryl clorin christopher morris holly lewis shane cardi we were all in the same year together and we really connected and uh, so we pushed each other and we all auditioned for whatever summer theaters we could as teenagers uh, from Kingston. So I auditioned for this Shakespeare in the Park company in Montreal mm-hmm. called Repercussion Theater. And I ended up working there several summers through the late 90s as I was learning to act. And and acting outdoors became a real training ground for me, mm-hmm. having to deliver Shakespeare in the, in the elements like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So it didn't going to school for something other than acting didn't last long. I know some people were like I lasted a semester. Yeah, one uh, week. One week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did was there any pushback on on the change at all, or like for either from the school or from family? Uh, no, there there it wasn't. Maybe maybe I don't really remember, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't recall uh, having much pushback. It was mm-hmm. at the time it seemed like maybe something I was doing on a whim and would come around. Uh, <laughs> but it was pretty. It was it was decisive. It was pretty decisive. Like I, I, like I said, like I wasn't I wasn't really great at anything else, and I at least I don't know that I was great at, at that, but I felt great about it. It right. made me feel good, and so so yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a funny thing because we all have 
18-year-olds in charge of our life decisions, right? At one point, right? So that's this, very true. Very <laughs> so true. this 18 or seven, I was 17. This 17-year-old was making decisions for me that I have that have led to a certain inevitable path for yeah. me. Um, did, did you ever have, when you were in school, did, did any, like, in high school, when you were like, I guess, no, because you were, you, you were going into politics. Like yeah. The, the guidance counselor, that made perfect sense. Yeah. Whereas I know a lot of people have been like, you tell the guidance counselor that you want to be an actor, and like, yeah. Maybe an English major. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, it, I was like, yeah, I was I wanted to be I wanted to be the prime minister. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I did. I wanted to be the prime minister. Wow. So I was going to go, I was going to study politics, I was going to learn French and I was going to go to law school. And and then I just said that's not me. That's not me. So Was there something about that first pick of school that made you realize it wasn't you or was it just like The truth everything? is, and I haven't really said this to many people, I I hated it. I got <laughs> I got to Queens and everyone and sorry Queens, I love you. You've been if anyone from Queens is listening. Mm-hmm. The people I met at Queens and the experience ultimately ended up being great, but that first week mm-hmm. there was this tidal wave of enthusiasm that I did not connect with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had moved from downtown Vancouver, where I felt connected and uh, inspired, to Kingston, which is a beautiful town, but which I didn't connect with because it was a smaller city than I had been used to. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like, okay, I need to take I need to take control of something here. Yeah. And so I, during that week, I, I asked a lot of questions and figured out it was possible for me to to switch what I was studying and and. It was a it was a decisive switch. Were you asking questions almost like from day one? Yeah, I was mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you, you said that it, you lasted a week, but it, like it sounds like almost like you you went in and were almost like nah. Well, because there's the frosh week, right? Yeah. So it was that orientation week, whereas it was, so it was it was frosh week, and then the first couple of days of classes, and I thought, no, this is not going to work. Mm. This is not not fun and not exciting, and yeah. it's a path I'm not interested in. So you did frosh week. I did yeah. very reluctantly. Yeah, yeah. I was almost because I went to I went to a, a college, and so there wasn't really a frosh. I was yeah. so grateful. Cause yeah, the story I'd ever heard about a frosh a frosh week was like, why would I want to do that? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I love like I I just wasn't prepared for it. I didn't I didn't know what I was walking into. And you know, you're 17 years old, and you're in a different town, a different province, don't know anybody, mm-hmm. in a tiny little room in a dorm. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. it's arresting. It's it's yeah. uh, so. I guess that is. I guess all of that did lead to that switch. And maybe if I was in a more comfortable environment, I would have slowly made my way to becoming the prime minister instead. Hmm. <laughs> have you ever have you ever have ever considered those sliding doors that yes, you know, the, what where you would be if you had continued in the yeah, uh, I totally have. Yeah, I totally have. Especially especially uh, during the Harper years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have. I have, and I I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by politics, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah, I've sort of imagined what that could have been a few times, but I'm a little bit curious about what when you, as a kid who was doing like theater and that was the thing that you were good at. What was it that made you decide that, that or at least start going towards the politics angle? Aside, from I don't know. I, I guess it's like I guess it's like um, expectations. Mm. It's sort of like oh, you do. I'm, I was doing well in school, and I should really try to do something that that everyone else will think is significant. Mm. And it wasn't it wasn't parental expectations or anything like that. It was just kind of self expectations. My grandfather, 
My grandfather, when I was a little kid, said, you're going to be prime minister one day. And I think I took that to heart. So <laughs> I didn't take it as pressure, but it was something to aspire to. And he, he saw something, or maybe he didn't, but he said something like that. Because so. there's something about when you're in school and you're surrounded by people who are like, I'm going to be a banker. I'm going to be like, all these things are going to be. I'm going to yeah. study this. I'm going to study that. And I come around to you and you're the only person who's saying, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah. Which makes you feel a little bit self-conscious. And it's yeah. Really difficult it, to actually admit to it. I guess so. But I think at the same time, you, when you're a, a young person, you want to be different. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to grab onto those things that make you different from everyone else. Sure. And I probably did a little bit of that. Maybe. I always, I always found wanted to be different, but not, 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 not too, too different, different. Not yeah, too different. yeah, yeah. And yeah. just to be the only person in the room that was actually thinking about being an actor was a little bit yeah. too different. Yeah, possibly, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, at what point did you start going from, like, making the move from acting to directing? Um, so when I, first, when I first came out of school, I did a lot of assistant directing, mm-hmm. mostly with that company, Repercussion Theatre in Montreal. And then I ended up at the Shaw Festival for years, and so my focus was acting uh, exclusively. Um, when I got back, I, I did a play in the West End uh, about ten years ago, and when I got back from that, because that was a that was three years in total, I did it for two years in Toronto and a year in the West End, doing uh, Dirty Dancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that experience, which was really fun, but but not 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 uh, high art, mm-hmm. um, I, I think I took stock of where I was at and and I decided that I wanted to add directing to to what I do for a living um, and so I guess about nine ten years ago I, I made a decisive switch to that but it wasn't until Eric Wolf mm-hmm. uh, who is a very um, uh, whimsical and impulsive hirer uh, sent me. <laughs> he, I, I, he, we 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 had we had uh, we had mostly met in audition situations. We'd known each other peripherally for a long time, and always always kind of I think got along well in those limited interactions. But I got a message from him in 2016 mm-hmm. that just read, "What is your favorite horror movie?" <laughs> And I was, I, you know, I had no clue why he was asking, but I love, I really like horror movies and my knowledge of them is definitely not as sophisticated as Eric's. But, uh, I think I replied Halloween and I said, but I have a, I, but Scream is my guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. I love, I love the Scream movies, which I know. And that probably, I'm surprised that didn't turn Eric off. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, he, he followed up with, information he might have asked a few more questions and then he said okay because we're doing this um gold rush klondike horror yukon play with puppetry and magic and i was aware of the the plays that eric was doing and i said yeah and and he said i think we've lost our director and i know you've been talking about wanting to direct more would you be interested in in talking about this and I, i said yes i would love to and and he and I started meeting, and and uh, and I, I I was honored and thrilled and surprised to be asked, and and then we worked on that that fall, and I loved every second of it. It was it was it was the after a long time of not feeling artistically fulfilled, mm. I, I something was uh, something something was ignited in mm. me through that. And it sounds, I mean, I mean it, I mean what I'm saying. It sounds, yeah. it sounds like I'm trying to, uh, trying to praise Eric, but he is amazing. And it was extremely 
uh, satisfying and fun and led to Space Opera Zero, which yeah. was which was a lot of fun too. How much did you know? Of, like, it sounds like all you knew was that it had it was horror with puppets. Well, I got a script pretty quickly, okay. I, and I, I I really did I, I really did have an understanding of the kind of work Eric was doing, and I read it, and the the opening text was. I think it was in iambic pentameter, which immediately sparked my curiosity and my interest. Yeah. And it was scary and haunting and funny mm-hmm. and and everything I said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, it was something that is like this is going to be entertaining, but it's also it's also got guts and uh, heart and yearning. And uh, I, I couldn't I actually couldn't believe that this person I didn't really know mm-hmm. who had never seen me direct anything. On a on a whim on Facebook was uh-huh. was was entrusting me with this great script that he had written and it is a great script. Eric Wolf is writing is writing scripts as good as anyone else in this country, mm-hmm. uh, and and so I felt like I was I kind of felt like I was getting away with something uh, pretty significant by being asked. <laughs> uh, and we had we laughed yeah. a lot and we did again in Space Opera Zero, and and. Uh, I wish all processes, is that right, Sandy? Plural of processes. Process. <laughs> process. I, wish all... I will accept both. Okay. Processes. Okay. Well, let's go with whatever Sandy says. Uh, we're, we're really fun and satisfying, and, and, uh, and I can't wait till the next one. In terms of like the, the kind of stuff that Eric writes, I think that, that I wish that more people were seeing yeah. what he was doing, yeah. because both of those plays, like I, I had... I mean, I consider it like one of the best seats. Although some people might say it's the worst. Like to be one for for the harrowing to be like on one of the seats right beside Eric. Yeah, one of the foils for some of the magic. Yeah, and it was just so such a great spot to be in, such an intense. Yeah, proximity proximity in theater is something that I love, mm-hmm. and something that is that I try to I try to integrate wherever and whenever possible. So mm-hmm. in this play as well, uh, that's a, that's a huge thing. Our space is tiny. There's sixty. There are sixty seats, mm-hmm. and I, I've tried to um, embed the action in the audience a little bit mm-hmm. because I, I like I like we have to do things in the theater that film and television cannot do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no point. We can't do movies on stage yeah. because we can't do that as well as, as well as film and television can. So what we can do is we can put an audience member and an actor in very close proximity mm-hmm. and we can thrill them just by that proximity, by exposing them to that and yeah. by the, forcing the actor to have to be, to have to fulfill the, the truth that that proximity demands. I think it, that can be a frightening thing for an actor. We're, we're used to thinking about our interaction with the audience is they're over there and I can't really yeah, see them. Yeah. And it can be a frightening thing to to have a scene where you need the audience yeah. and there you've seen partner. And that yeah. Sort of thing. Well, that's that's a huge part of this play. Every brilliant thing, uh, the the audience is is essential, uh, not just as witness to the action, but as participants. I think that that. The best solo plays are ones that need the audience in that way, mm-hmm. because otherwise, if you're if the audience isn't your scene partner, you're talking at them, yeah, and then it feels like it's a shitty TED talk. Yeah, yeah, something. totally. It feels like a lecture. Yeah. yeah uh, Whereas if I if you're connecting with people, know when you're looking at them. Yeah. And that's something we don't often do in the theater, and mm-hmm. so I think it's a it's a almost a thrill for. Uh, the actor and and the audience to have that happen. Yeah, yeah, and it's unpredictable too because you don't know. It's unpredictable on both sides of it. You don't know what's coming at you, you mm-hmm. know, as the actor or as the audience. And 
I love it and it's scary and uh, it's something that I try I try to find a way to integrate that oh. into everything I direct somehow so it's always interesting because you're right you don't know what the actor is going to get from the audience member because you can like try to make eye contact with somebody who's just like no yeah and yeah your eyes just slide off them and so you have to decide am I going to force this yeah. or just go on to somebody else yeah and it's not it's not for everyone there are audience members who just will never who love theater who will never enjoy a, an experience as active as as we ask of them in yeah. this play and in some of the Eric Wolf plays yeah. but uh, but it's we can't cater to everyone and it's no. a it's a thrill so what do you I, think Sandy do you like I'm so sorry I was distracted no. by an email that's okay <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that that you know, talking about, about Eric, he's, he's in an interesting position where he has a, a particular audience that, that comes out for him mm. who are not regular theater goers. Yep. And I think, if anything, he's teaching them, if they do go to the theater, they're going to have a different, like, he's teaching them lessons about participation in yeah. the theater and, yeah. and proximity and things like that. Yeah. Um, although his audience is largely made up of people who are not the opening night of the opening night of the harrowing of brimstone mccready i i took eric aside i probably not before it's probably after the show and i said this is so weird and he said what is it and i said this is the first time i've ever been at an opening in toronto where there were no theater people <laughs> the audience was yeah. just people who yeah. have jobs that are not in the theater yeah I was the uh, like the only person in the audience who was a theater person was me. <laughs> there, they, there is a certain a certain mood to an open night audience that's full of theater people yeah. that you don't find in the other audience. There's a lot more talking, yeah, and waving at people and like moving around. I, like right. every opening with full of theater people I've ever been at is starting like at least ten minutes late. Yeah. Because everybody's too busy talking. Yeah, it's but. a social, it's a social thing, and that's yeah. kind of that's great in a way. And I, I only really know theater people, and I mm. and theater people are great. But Eric, the fact that Eric has cultivated an audience of of people he does not know that do not work in the theater, yeah. there's something there to be learned, I mm -hmm. think, by from other theaters. I think so too, because it's one of those questions people are always asking: Where's our audience going? Yeah. Like, how do we reach people? And yeah. I think there are people who found ways to reach people. Yes. Yeah. Not by saying the same thing over and over yeah again. well and it's fun it's yes. fun yeah. it's fun it is it's fun and it's thrilling and it's it sounds simplistic or superficial but it's 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 great to make theater fun and it's hard to make theater fun yeah that's what Eric always says. Theater is not vegetables. I know. Eric always says <laughs> theater is yeah. not, no, no, no. not about eating your it's broccoli. It's not about eating your broccoli. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be health health food, right? And and. And that doesn't, and making it fun does not make it any less substantial, too. No, I think <clears throat> I've seen a lot of stuff over the last little while where, where I feel like they have a message and they want, they definitely want you to not miss it. Yeah. So you leave feeling like you've been hit in the head. Yeah. A bunch of times. Yeah. Um, but you didn't particularly enjoy the experience. Yeah. yeah. It's all well and good to have a message, but if you're not entertained while it's happening, as we've said, it's yeah. just uh, like, why did I spend an hour and a half to two hours with you? Yeah, yeah. Why? Like, let me read a really great article yeah. about this topic or something. And I think very dark things they can be um, they can be entertaining and thrilling as well. It's 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 a cha it's a challenge, but it's one worth taking on. But I mean, that's why people go to horror movies. They yeah, go to horror movies yeah. because they're entertained. Yeah. in a certain way, not necessarily just because they don't. I think if they weren't entertained, they wouldn't go at all. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. If we're asking people to leave their house for 
a message, they're not going to do yeah. it. Well, like this play, this play is is a brilliant piece of writing because mm-hmm. it is it is about a topic as dark as you pretty much as you can possibly mm-hmm. get. A child's exposure to his mother's repeated suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. Within that, mm-hmm. it is one of the funniest, uh, most curious pieces of writing I have ever encountered, mm-hmm. and that's what we we need to ask our writers to pursue that kind of that kind of complexity and that kind of duality. Well, because I mean, you could you could deal with that for. A long time, like the the child's exposure to his mother's repeated suicide attempts, and be very serious about it, and nobody would want to watch it. Yeah, because yeah. if you if we if we don't laugh, we have no connection. Yeah, and I, I think even this play could be interpreted in such a way mm. that that it's taken extremely seriously mm. and very darkly, and I don't think that would serve the story properly. Mm. Right, Sandy. <laughs> you trying to drag Sandy in? Well, San- Sandy's in. very involved because because the play involves interaction with mm-hmm. human beings who we don't always have in the room. Sandy's Sandy's been an actor in this process as well, um, uh, which has been a lot of fun it's to watch. My favorite. Thing to do. <laughs> well, well, Sandy, what's that? What's that like? Because you're not usually uh, in that position. I mean, I, I'm not usually in that position, except that I work with Eric all the time, and I like like so. <laughs> No, I'm, no, I'm not. But yes, I am. And I used to like I've done tech for improv, and I sort of so I'm I'm comfortable in that world. So it doesn't. I'm not freaked out by it. But it's um, not where you want to be. It's not where I particularly want to be. And I'm very very happy when we have runs when people come in to watch, and I don't have to do the things. But yeah. uh, but she's really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of it. Like with this show, I, I knew I knew when I got. When Graham approved this mm. play, I, I think my first email message was to Sandy, mm. because because this is this is a weird beast of a play that requires improvisation and uh, interaction and uh, and a lot of um, the distribution of a lot of items mm. in places that are different every night. And so I knew Sandy could could was the right person to take that on. So I'm still not embarrassed. You're gonna have to say more nice things. <laughs> 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 Sandy, the, 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 like, I think sometimes a stage manager can feel a little removed from the process and they're just there to take notes and make sure that the things, things happen. And then there are other shows which require you to be really uh, uh, invested in, and a part of the process. Yes. Do you have a preference? I, do I have a preference? Yeah. Um, well, I really like actors, and I really like to mm-hmm. be with actors and near actors and around mm-hmm. actors, and if I didn't, why, why am I doing this job? <laughs> um, it's funny, because I've had just now, uh, I've just come off of a show where I was incredibly distanced from the performers, mm-hmm. because the performers were all deaf. And I signed some, but not fluently. And so I couldn't have the relationship with the cast that I Mm -hmm. normally have. And I found that very lonely and very challenging. Mm -hmm. So this is great. (laughs) To come into this room and be like, okay, first of all, there's only one of them. (laughs) That's nice. And I'm like, if Gavin and I are buddies, then that's even better. Um, But like, it's really, it's, it's been a huge relief to have, to be like, oh, yes, okay, people I can talk to if people I can use the same language as. Um, not that I didn't like the other actors. They're all mm-hmm. wonderful, lovely people, but it just it's it's just a much easier way to be in in the world of theater and it's sure. it's it's certainly where I'm more comfortable and where I live better. Um, uh, so I think the answer is that I prefer 
this way, <laughs> but I want to learn to get better at that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, rehearsing a show that just has one actor. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes it can it can be more daunting than a show that has a number of actors. Yeah. If you're looking at like an eight hour day when it's just like a director, a stage manager, and an actor, yeah. how do you fill that day without everybody being completely exhausted? Yeah, it is a big challenge and something that that going into it the very first day we I said to Gavin, okay, you you need to regulate what's being asked of you as well, and we need to negotiate and sort of improvise what our plan will be from day to day. But it is it's harder because with a multiple actor cast. There's just there's there are more conversations to be had. I find myself in this room sometimes uh, out of ideas for mm-hmm. for that day, or or uh, and it's and it's I, and if, when that happens, I just try to articulate it. Say, look, I'm at a point now where I'm not sure what we need to work on, and we yeah. just have a conversation about it. But uh, and it's a weird play because the play just flows once you start. There aren't a lot of natural places to jump in, mm-hmm. so it's a hard thing to work without just starting at the top and working right through. Um, but Gavin's been Gavin's been really adaptable and really articulate about what he wants to work on and what. So it's just identifying from day to day what what the trouble spots are we need to look at or if yeah. it's a day where we need to do a run that kind of thing. But I mean, this is not the first time that you've done a show with just one actor. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the harrowing was 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 Eric a yeah. bunch of puppets and and you. So. Yeah, and that was different in a way because the bunch of puppets kind of <laughs> felt like a cast. Like. <laughs> Yes. They really do. I'm like sometimes I would find myself talking to giving the notes to a puppet or to one of like to I, you start to think do that way. Do you remember way. the day in tech when I lost my temper with I think it was Soapy? Yes. Like I yelled at one of the puppets. Yeah. I was so mad because Eric was messing around and he was like, yeah. And I was like, I was like, Soapy, I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> no, they they do they start they to feel real. Them. Yeah. And also Eric, that play specifically was very clearly divided into five acts mm-hmm. with specific scenes. So I could say, you know what? Let's figure out Act Two today, and sure. let's. Uh, so, but this this play is a different uh, a different creature mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, but yeah. Yeah, working with one actor, I, I actually love it, and I've, I, it's something I've done quite a bit of. Um, but it's you can't just apply one strategy on how to work with an actor to any process. No. You have to be very adaptable. Yeah. Do you find that at those when when you're out of ideas, do you I don't know take a break? Do you, yeah. yeah. Usually, I, I tell Gavin to go smoke a cigarette, <laughs> and then I ask Sandy what we should do. <laughs> Uh, like I, I, I am. I've said this to Sandy, and I think she agrees. I'm a pretty obsessive person, and I tend to have. I tend to know. I tend to have a list, long list of things I want to do, and so part of it is when I'm out of ideas, and I'm, that list has been ticked off. Mm-hmm. I recognize that as a positive thing, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 similar to when it's important to say I don't know the answer or I was wrong. To say right now, I don't have an idea. I don't right now. I don't have a, a strategy for the next hour. Mm. I don't know what we should do. Let's talk about that. Mm. Um, it's breaking this hierarchy of of the way theater works, and and it's such a the great thing about theater is that it is a collaboration, mm. and there has to be someone who's more or less calling the shots and and has a, a final say. Mm. But the more it can be a dialogue between multiple artists. Yeah. For me, the better because because usually the best idea will emerge by some collision of of two things that people are thinking. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
today as we record this, you your it was your first stumble through. It was actually our second. Your second yeah, stumble yeah, we did one on day six, and today's day eight. We wow. did so. Yeah. How's how? I mean, stumble through is always like a frightening thing. Yeah. For I know the actors. I don't know about about from your point of view. Um, how going into this stumble through? At what point? Where do you think you're at? I feel like we are at a really positive middle point um, where a great foundation has been laid. The template, the, the template that we've laid is right. Mm-hmm. I feel really good about that. So now it's about repetition, about going deeper. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think it's about cracking it open and changing the, the course we're on. Mm-hmm. And that's very assuring because we have, what day is it? Today? Tuesday. Tuesday. So we have what four more days in four more days in the rehearsal hall, three days of tech. So I think we're in a, in a great spot. I I watch it. I watched this run through this afternoon as a as a riveted audience member, and I say that completely authentically. I was I was engaged and laughing and having a great time. I think the the little few invited guests we had were enjoying themselves. So I, I'm feeling confident and positive, and uh, curious. Is this your first season at the... the, the Festival Players? Players? This is my... Okay, so this is actually my third season. Mm -hmm. 2017, it was announced that Graham Abbey was was the named artistic director. Mm -hmm. I've known Graham for 25 years. I immediately... Like, as I was reading the announcement, I was emailing him <laughs> because I'm, I am, I was at that point very aware of the region mm-hmm. and of its potential for magnificence mm-hmm. and, and very aware of Graham and his ambition and his talent. And for me, the combination of those two things seemed like something I really wanted to be a part of. And I basically said that to him in the email. Mm-hmm. He replied quickly saying, sort of what the rough plans were for that season. I went into that season thinking I would be an actor, but they sent me an offer uh, that was an acting track and an associate directing track. Uh, So I acted in one play and I associate directed all the plays. Uh, And we had a great time, a lot of fun. I fell in love with the region. And the next year I went back just as an associate director on The Drawer Boy. um, Mm -hmm. So I worked with Graham on that. And then that solidified our sort of partnership and from that point on he and I were were planning this season and hiring and um, uh, so so an associate ship sort of developed naturally out of out of last season's work on the jar boy and Mm. and now I'm the associate artistic director there and uh, very invested and inspired by that company and by its potential to be a major destination theater well, it's, a, it's an interesting area, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Prince Edward County. You've got, you do have the Drake Devonshire, and now they've opened a motel. Yeah, the Drake has a motel down the street from us as well, yeah. And also just the wine region and, and uh, you know, the apples and the, yeah. like everything is so much. Yeah, there. the beach. I think that, I think that, that from here, from in, in Toronto, when we're thinking of getaways, we, I think we often think north. We yeah. think north as we don't think eastern southern ontario mm-hmm. in the same way that, that maybe we should yeah is as, as a place that we that that is beautiful and a place to go yeah yeah it's it's honestly i was stunned i knew i had i had heard and read about prince edward county i went to start work there and i remember i rode my bike from my the house i was staying to where we rehearsing I was like, oh this is very beautiful this is nice through wellington gorgeous town mm-hmm. my first day off i went to sandbanks and i my my with my son and we both kind of looked around and it was this pristine, beautiful, mm. soft sand and crystal clear water and nothing else. People, but no, nothing, 
no businesses. It was very untouched yeah. and gorgeous. And, and I suddenly I just, what I knew was a beautiful place to visit, I suddenly realized was one of my favorite spots in Ontario. Yeah. Uh, and so that, the inspiration and excitement I already had for the county and the theater company kind of doubled and... Yeah. And uh, and my whole family loves it there yeah. now. So I grew up in Belleville. So oh, you did. I know the I know the sandbanks was like our beach. Yeah, yeah. Up, so, yeah, right. Spent a lot of time out there. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, what 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 comes next after 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 this show? So after this show, we will we start discussing our plans for 2020. Mm-hmm. But my my um my sort of main day to day work what I'm not directing is auditioning for and occasionally doing film and television Mm -hmm. so i'll get back into that uh, routine i've got a play i'm directing in the winter that hasn't been announced yet so i'm not allowed to say i wish i could (laughs) Uh, but i'll be back directing um early january and i think i can say that um, i'm sure i can that the harrowing of brimstone mccready is coming back for a limited run adriana has said that several times okay good i know that he's i know that he's doing it in uh, uh kick and push yes he is and uh i have been telling people you know, since I, I loved it last time, I've been telling everybody that I can. He's doing it again. You missed it last time. Yeah. You dare miss it this time. Yeah, and it's a limited run back at the Red Sandcastle, mm-hmm. and and we want to pack it every night yeah, because yeah. it deserves it. Deserves it. I think it's only a week or something we're running. So it really does deserve it. Yeah. yeah. And Eric, Eric, and Eldritch, and Sandy, and I have a few other projects in development. So there's there's a lot going on there. Theater. I'm working with Theaterfront constantly. Mm-hmm. So we've got a play in development with Jason Maganoy. Um, that we're really excited about about big data, which is really cool. Um, and and Vicky and I have a few things on the horizon for for the 2020 season as well. So awesome, yeah. So so busy time, busy, always yeah, busy. Always, busy, always yeah. like between the festival players and theater front mm-hmm. and and the work with Eldritch. There's there's lots of the work I love that keeps mm-hmm. me really busy. And then every once in a while, I find myself on a film set, and that's <laughs> that's fun too. So, but I would love to start acting in plays again. That's been a, a mm-hmm. couple of years for me, yeah, and I yeah. really do enjoy that. I think people think because I'm directing and doing film and TV that that's that's not something I want to do, but I really do. I really love it. So it's funny because I think that some people, I mean, some people think, oh, like film and television, that's 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 where you want to be. But yeah. everybody I know who does both is like theater, like film and television is fine, but theater is the best. Film television is great. Mm-hmm. Theater, you get to rehearse yeah. and you get an audience. That's the thing. And you right? the, and film and TV, you never you depriving depriving the actor of of rehearsal and an audience just automatically makes it less satisfying. Yeah. It's sometimes when you watch it, you're kind of blown away and, and it's really exciting after the fact, but it separates, it separates the acting from the event. Yeah. And theater integrates the acting and the event into one moment. And that's Mm -hmm. that there's, there's nothing like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great, great spot to end. Thank you. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you very much. This has been a Homebody Productions production.